Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Let me just tell you, it has been a week for allergies, am I right? Oh, my word. So I'm going to be snotty and sneezing and crying, uh, but we're going to have some fun this morning. So my name's Sam, uh, and I'm on the teaching team, uh, and I serve as a financial trustee here. Uh, And my wife, Chelsea, she serves in the back. So we love New Hope. This is our church home. Um, So I'm super excited. We are currently in week two of the big book of Haggai. Woohoo! I said big book. That was sarcasm. See, what's so cool about what we're studying is these are books that you could read right before bed, right? They're very small, but there's so much we're going to draw out of these books. So if you missed last week, uh, I want to get you caught up because you missed out on some backstory, okay? I'll just be honest. So to understand the main part of what we're going to talk about, let's talk about last week. So last week, we went all the way back uh, to King Solomon, um, and specifically the magnificent temple that was built for God. And this was a mind-blowing accomplishment for the time. It was a wonder of the world. People traveled from all over the world to worship God, to show him honor, and honestly, just to see this temple. It was, it was amazing. And unfortunately, we learned last week, we know that after King Solomon died, people turned away from God. They got discouraged, just as we often do. They started worshiping idols. And so God allowed a series of events to happen uh, and a series of events to take place to bring the people's focus back towards him. So last week, we talked about the destruction of the temple. Uh, Then in 587 BC, under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian army destroyed and devastated the region of Judah. And this included the massive, beautiful temple, the house of God that he dwelt in. So that destroyed their religious identity. Their house, their place of worship where God dwelt was destroyed. And then to add insult to injury, these people were thrown into captivity for five decades, for 50 years, enslaved. So you can only imagine the sense of relief when after this 50 years, technically 70 because they were in captivity 20 years before, the sense of relief, the sense of joy when they say, you're free, right? So there was a sense of joy, this relief, because for the first time in 70 years, the people were allowed to go back. So they started to build their temple again, right? They were ready. They, that's all they could think about in captivity is we want to build God's house again, So about 50,000 people were granted freedom to rebuild their city, their temple, and their first priority was the house of God. So they started building right away. That's the first thing they did. They got the foundation, they got the altar in place, they got the walls up, you know, it's starting to look good. But then things got tough, okay? The Samaritans came in and opposed the work. And when things got hard, church, what did they do? They quit, yeah. For 14 years, okay, the temple sat just in construction. It's kind of like the roads in Akron, you know? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Akron's horrible. Um, So the people gave up. For 14 years, the temple sat in ruin. So here's one of our main points from last week to get us caught up. So this is what the people thought. They they thought, since they were receiving opposition, this, this is a sign that God's against us. So this is our first main point. Receiving opposition isn't a sign God is against you. The people were like, this is hard. Certainly this isn't God's will since this is hard. And we do this too. Oftentimes when we think things get hard, we think that God is not with us. 
So the people of Haggai and us today, this is another main point, we need to continually, continuously choose the hard, obedient decision over the easy, comfortable decision. This group of people, they needed to put God first instead of putting their own comfort, their own agenda in God's place. And we talked last week, so often we put our own agenda in God's place. So often we're concerned with our own livelihood, our jobs, our schedules, our sports, or or, or whatever. The people were doing this too. We see in Scripture, they were building their paneled houses. This was high-end living, right? The big screen TVs, the sound system. They probably had like an Amazon Alexa in every room, right? They were so consumed with themselves, with, with themselves. And this is what we're seeing here in this story. Because remember, God kept saying, give careful thought to your ways. Right? Be careful, is what God's saying, what you put in my place. So last week, we were challenged, number one, to be obedient and let God take care of the outcome. Does everybody remember that saying? Okay, if you don't have this in your notes, obedience is our part, outcome is God's. So that is the, the five-minute version, actually six-minute version, um, of what we talked about last week. So I wanted to make sure if you weren't here, uh, you're caught up. So this week, uh, we we're going to jump to Haggai 2, but we left so much meat on the bones in Haggai 1. So we're going to finish out Haggai 1 and then move into the first chapter of Haggai 2 to close out our series. So if you've got your Bibles with you, um, find Haggai. Okay, it's, some of that's it's pretty challenging. I still struggle. Um, really small book. So we'll have it up here on the screen. So this is Haggai 1, uh, verses 13 through 15. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So church, this is good news, right? What does God say right off the bat? I am with you. God says, I am with you. So let's keep reading. So the, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of, I'm going to mess up all these names, I'm going to try, Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Zozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So what did God do? Okay, we see that God stirred up the people he stirred up the spirit of the governor, right? The high priest. And church, this is a whole side message, but God still does this today. God will often stir up your spirit. This is what we talked about last week, the stirring up of your spirit. When God calls you to do something, God gives you hope to accomplish something. He gives you the power to do something. He puts somebody or something on your mind. So this is what God's doing through the spirit. He did this for the people. He does it for us. He gave them a sense of faith. So they were supposed to rebuild the temple, so he stirred up their spirits. And this still happens if you're a follower of Christ. There will be those times out of the blue where a name will pop in your head or a person you need to reach out to or something you're supposed to do. That's what's happening here. And then the story goes on, and it says, "'They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty.'" their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So they get together. They're like, let's do it, right? We can do it. They get out their hard hats and their shovels, their pickaxes, and they say, we're going to build this temple back 
to its amazing glory. And then we see literally one month goes by because they date everything. So they do it for one month. And then what happens? They quit again, right? So here, we'll pull some application out of this because I think it's easy to look at this and be like, what a bunch of sinners, <laughs> right? Because I look at this as like, these losers couldn't even last one month. But I think, church, we need to be careful because we do this exact same thing. We have these moments where we agree with the Spirit. We walk in obedience. We jump in, but then we flame out. Has anybody ever been there? I've been there. Okay, we've got some honest people in the room. So during this time when they quit, there was some more stuff going on. They had one of their big religious festivals during this time, and a bunch of people all over the region came to this temple site, and they're looking at this thing, and they're like, eek, right? This is all there is? This is all you guys have gotten done? This is pathetic. So they became discouraged really quick. They were embarrassed because they were trying their best to build this temple. They had only been a month in. They didn't have excavators, modern machinery, jackhammers, cement trucks, right? So one month in, everybody was discouraged. So I'll be honest, I raised my hand because um, I've started something and flamed out really quick, and I'm going to share a fun story with y'all. And I suppose I'm approaching the age of like what you call a midlife crisis, so rather than to do something stupid, I thought I'd be proactive, okay, right? So I came up with a hobby, and this was a hobby I was familiar with in college. I wanted to get back into mountain biking, right? When you're in your early 20s, late teens, mountain biking's amazing, okay? We're, I'm not going to ruin the story. Um, so I was going to put some pictures on the screen of me in college, but I decided I'm not going to do that. I'll spare y'all. So I decided I'm going to do this, right? I've mountain biked before. I know what I need. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get back on that bike. I'm going to get in shape because round's not a shape, right? I'm going to hit the trails, hit the jumps. My center of gravity is going to be a little off because of my gut. But so I get a new bike. I get all the the cool clothes because you know you got to look the part if you're going to do it, right? You got to look good doing it. So I've got all the gear. And backstory, in college, I rode 15 miles a day, every single day, okay? So a lot of miles. I actually wore out my first bike just in college. It just needed rebuilt bearings, bushings, everything. And um, you can ask Chelsea. I love this. We even got our engagement pictures taken on the mountain bike trail um, right after I proposed at school. So I got all ready. I got all my stuff. I did all my research, learned all the new bikes, and I got a nice bike. So I showed up at Vulture's Knob in Worcester. Has anybody been there? A few people. Yes, this is not an easy trail, okay? You're going to hear more about Vulture's Knob. Um, So this is my first ride in nine years, okay? This is my first time on a bike in nine years, but I look really good, okay? I got all the cool gear. Um, I'm riding a trail I've never ridden before. I'm about to nail it. Um, So I I pull into Vulture's Knob, and I get my bike off, because I got the roof rack, too, for the car, because you got to look really cool. You can't just fold your bike in the car right? So I tell you, when I go all out, I go all out. So I look at the sign and it says the full expert loop is seven and a half miles. I'm like, nice. I used to do 15, right? I did 15 every day in college. So certainly I can do seven and a half miles. This is easy. I get my shoes on, um, clip in, all that. And I was like, I can do seven and a half. 
So you kind of know where the story's going. About a mile in, it's getting hard to breathe, right? Um, not only that, I could use a snack, you know, something nutritional. And I'm, I'm overconfident, so I didn't bring water, I didn't bring snacks, nothing, okay? Just like I used to do it in college. So, but I'm still feeling confident. I was like, yeah, we're an eighth of the way there, right? This has been pretty much flat downhill. So about two miles in, there's a lot of downhill flowy sections, okay? So I'm starting to get tired, but there's this thing called adrenaline, and adrenaline gives you more energy. And about two miles in, uh, we've got some pictures we're going to put up on the screen. There's some really cool elements at Vulture's Knob. You've got an overpass like this, and then you turn and you go down a huge creek bed. Um, there's also, what else do we put up there? This, isn't that horrifying? That thing is awesome. That's a cable, it's, I think it's a rope bridge, not a cable. And then they have the cradle, which you zoom down and it launches you out the other side. So I was having a blast. I was doing things a 31-year-old should probably not do, right? So I'm loving it, two miles in, I can do this. I'm two-eighths of the way there. And then about mile three, there comes a climb. Because when you go down, you gotta go up, right? Yeah, I did not know this. Um, so at mile three, the climb starts and the adrenaline goes away. You're looking down at your front tire, you can feel your pulse in your neck, and I started to think to myself, this wasn't a good idea, okay? My legs hurt, my lungs are burning, I sucked up a bug, and I'm rededicating my life to Jesus at this moment because this is horrible. It feels like my heart's gonna explode, my lunch is coming up, and I'm not even to mile three and a half, right? Oh my gosh. And to make matters worse, the first three miles, you go three miles away from your car. So I'm now three miles away from my car. I am committed. So after this three-mile climb, there's another one about three and a half miles, and I, I just stopped. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to take a three-minute break, three-day break. It's like, they're going to find my body out here. <laughs> like, this is going to be bad. I didn't have water. I was looking for a stream or anything. My legs are cramping. Oh my gosh, I laid down and I remember ants just crawling all over me because there's so many ants out there too. So I take my short break. I don't know how long I was unconscious or whatever, but I decide I'm going to try another half mile before I just give up and die. So I did another half mile and I found a bailout. And the bailout was all uphill, but that's okay. I found the sissy trail and I was taking it. So there's nothing, by the way, not, there's nothing more humiliating than taking a bailout trail on a mountain bike course, by the way. So if you haven't experienced that, it's humbling. So I'm taking the bailout trail, um, and it was a Thursday, and they do group rides at Thursday at 6. And I wanted to get there before the group ride, because <laughs> I couldn't hang with the group ride. So I'm taking the sissy trail out, and there's like 50 people there on bikes worth more than my car. Like, there's $13,000 bikes. It's crazy. So I get out there and I'm like super embarrassed. So I'm like playing it off like a mechanical failure when it was like a physical failure. I was like, oh yeah, my spokes are bent. You know, like I just had to bail out early. So I, I get the bike back up on the car. I'm still looking super cool, but super sweaty, right? And I'm looking down in disappointment and disgust at what happened in nine years with my body. And I just remember this somber moment and maybe some tears were shed, but I know this is a super dumb story, okay? But I can relate to the excitement that was in Haggai here. 
because when things got hard, I quit. At mile three and a half, it got hard, and rather than persevere, I quit. And I know each and every one of you has a similar story like this to some degree. We can attack, we get the gear, we get ready, let's build this temple, and then a short time later, we see in Scripture, a month later, they quit because it got hard. They flamed out. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's financial. Maybe you're trying to get out of debt. You know, we're going to get out of debt. We're going to get out of debt. And, oh, Christmas time. Forgot about that. We can't do that. Or, or for, for a lot of us, is I'm going to go on a diet, right? I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to go on a diet. And then you're at the store and you look, ooh, Twizzlers. That was me yesterday. I love Twizzlers. Or maybe for you, let's be a little more serious. It's with your walk with, with God. Maybe for you, it's I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read my Bible. And you're like, oh, look, Netflix, you know, Hulu, TikTok. Or maybe you're finally going to decide to be generous and, and give to God and tithe. But you, you're like, oh, look, new toys, right? So I think all of us can do this to some degree. Okay, all of us can flame out early. And it's because we don't make the progress we think we should be making. That's what happens. We get discouraged. That's what was happening to the people during this time. They're like, we're going to do this for God. It's going to be amazing. But one month in, there was discouragement. So the story goes on, and um, God has Haggai ask them a question. And to me, it's almost a loving, um, I, I don't know. It's fantastic. So we're jumping to Haggai 2, uh, verses 1 through 3. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to, all these names are hard, Zerubbabel, son of Shetil, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Josedach, and high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like to you nothing? So Haggai asked them on behalf of God, who of you is left? Who of you is left that saw the house in its firmer glory? And that's kind of worded in a weird way, and I even messed it up because it's, it's, it's odd. But in other words, it's saying, who of you is old enough to even remember Solomon's temple? Wasn't it amazing? Like, look at yours, he says. How does it look? Surely it doesn't look like nothing. Does this look like nothing to you, is what he's saying? So encouraging to me. He's saying, no, you guys, you guys did something. Good job, right? It doesn't look like nothing. But what's happening is we're seeing two causes of discouragement among the people. Um, and we're going to talk about them today. And if you're taking notes, the first one is comparisons. And the second one is lack of progress. These are, in Sam's opinion, the two biggest causes of discouragement no matter what it is, if it's your walk with God, if it's something personal you're experiencing. Because they were comparing their start with someone else's finish. We've got to remember, they were only a month into their temple project, but they were comparing it to Solomon's finished temple. That's going to be discouraging. Comparisons. And what's really cool is Bible scholars estimate that Haggai was probably around 70 maybe mid-70s when he wrote this book. So he would have been around. He would have been a teenager for when this temple was done. He would have remembered the glory. So there's this sense of comparison 
that makes us extremely discouraged. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes this is true for me. I get incredibly discouraged when I compare myself to other people. And let me tell you, it happened that day when I was mountain biking, right? And I didn't mention this earlier, but there was a gray-haired man, probably mid-70s. He, like, legit looked like the Monopoly man. Like, I'm being for real. It was awesome. Um, the dude just passed go, collected $200, and was going for seven and a half more miles. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I was in my car praying that I wouldn't die, and he's doing mile 14. So Monopoly Man was double my age, doubling my ride distance on a bike that cost more than two of my cars put together, made of completely carbon fiber that weighs less than a Subway sandwich. Right? And Monopoly Man, if you're watching this, I don't know your name, I'm sorry, but you can give me biking lessons or finance lessons um, anytime. So that was a joke. You can laugh at that. Um, so what I'm saying, comparison kills. Maybe for you, it's he's got a great job. He's got an amazing car. He's got a fantastic house. Maybe you look at yourself and be like, I hate my job. My car is falling apart. It barely runs. And guys, I don't need to tell you, if you really want to be discouraged, get on social media, right? That is one quick way to be discontent because you start comparing and you look at other people's finish when you're just starting. Yeah, you go on there and you're like, man, he's traveling again, right? Or her picture got more likes than mine. And church, did you know there's a five-year-old YouTuber that makes more than most of us in this room? And all they do is unbox toys and other kids watch them? Isn't that crazy? What a way to be discouraged. But what happens is you compared. I compared just like they did. They were comparing their pathetic little temple that they only had a month to work on, comparing it to the former glory of Solomon's temple. They felt like a failure. They were discouraged. They were comparing their start to someone else's finish. And, and we also talked about this idea of a lack of progress. They were dealing with this. They were one month in. It wasn't going well. They were trying really hard, and they weren't getting anywhere. So we'll do some more examples. I love examples, as you can tell. So maybe for you, we'll, we'll start not so serious. Maybe for you, it's like, I'm going on a diet. So you eat well, you eat clean for a whole month, you eat nothing but kale, and then you step on the scale and you gain two pounds. You're like, the what? <laughs> right? Has anybody experienced that? Yeah, okay. You're like, mm. It's like, I'm going to Pizza Hut, <laughs> right? <laughs> you try so hard. You do all the right things. You eat the veggies. You cut the sweets. We take all these steps forward, but it feels like we just took four steps backwards, right? Lack of progress makes us extremely discouraged. So often we look at others, we're like, well, she's like so much further along in her faith than me, or he's really got it figured out. What you're doing is you're comparing and you're, having, you're comparing someone else's finish to your start. That's what's going on. So continuing with our story, I want to show you some truth that God told his people that I believe we need to hear today. So if you're discouraged this morning, I want you to listen for five minutes. 
I, I want you to hear what God has to say because God was speaking to these people who were extremely discouraged. They were building the temple. It wasn't going well. They compared their temple to the original temple. The progress was slow. It wasn't going well. I can't say that enough. The people kept saying it's never going to be as good as the previous temple. And God gives them the most loving and simple instructions. Um, and do you guys remember last week how loving and simple God was? Do you remember when the people were like, what do we do? We don't know how to build the temple. What did he say? He said, number one, yep, go get the wood, bring it down, build the temple, right? Simple, one, two, three. And we're going to see it again. He said just in the previous verses, here's what you do. You go up the mountain, you bring down the, t- the timber, and you build my temple. That's how easy it is. Choose the hard, obedient decision over the easy, comfortable decision. So let's see in verse 4 um, how loving... Okay, don't see it. You're not supposed to see that. Okay, does anybody want to read verse 4 for me? <laughs> there is one specific phrase we're looking for. Okay, I didn't put it in my notes. But he tells them, he says, be strong and what, church? Work right? And I can put this up here now. Be strong and do the work. Be strong and do the work. And he goes on to say, for I am with you, declares the Lord. So church, when we're discouraged, if you're discouraged today, what does God say? He says two things. Number one, be strong. Number two, do the work. And we'll say it again in case somebody wasn't paying attention. Be strong and do the work, for I am with you. And in church, you know that you don't have to be strong in your own power. We live in New Testament times, and, our, and the New Testament teaches like when, when we are weak, his strength is made perfect through you. So you don't have to be strong in your own strength. You have a supernatural strength dwelling within you. And this is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, dwells within those who believe. So when you, are, when you are strong, be strong in him, not in your own strength. When you can't do anymore and you're about ready to give up, when you're at mile three and a half and it feels like your lunch is going to come up and you got kicked in the gut, be strong and do the work. Church, we all need to be strong and to do his work. What do you do? Be strong. Do the work. Put down another stone like they were doing. Build the temple. And when you put down that stone, it's not going to look like much at first. I'll be honest. But don't be discouraged. Don't compare. What do you do? You be strong. You do the work. Put down another stone. If it's not working, pick up another stone and put it down. Consistently do the last thing God has told you to do. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Consistently do the last thing God has told you to do. Be strong. Do the work. Consistently do the work. Put down another stone. Put down another stone. When things are tough, pick up a stone. Put down another stone. Continue to walk into obedience. Be strong and do the work. Here's a quote I love. Successful people do consistently what normal people do occasionally. Write this down, church. 
Successful people do consistently what normal people do occasionally. What do we need to do? Consistency. We need to show up, do the work. Be strong. Show up, do the work. Put down another stone. As we talked about last week, oftentimes God calls us into obedience into something that's difficult. Okay? That's a reality. Maybe for you it's something uncomfortable. But we learned, be strong and do the work. When you want to give up, what do you do, church? Be strong. Yes, do the work. Be strong. Keep praying even when you don't see the results. Be strong. Lay down another stone. Be strong. Continue to open up God's word when you're not feeling it. Continue to seek him daily. Be strong. Continue to do the right thing even when you're not getting anywhere. Be strong. Continue to show up to exercise even when those numbers go the wrong way. Be strong. Continue to love people when they're not loving in return. That's a big one. Be strong. Bring your best when everyone else on your team's not bringing their best. Be strong. Show honor to the person over you who is not acting honorable. Be strong. Continue to love your spouse even when they're unresponsive. Be strong. Continue to reach out to that person even when they don't hear or listen or even let you in. Be strong. Continue to love your children even when they drive you absolutely nuts. God says, be strong and do the work for I am with you. This is the key of it all. If, if you want to learn one thing today, it's this. Be strong and do the work. So let's look at verses 5 through 9 as we close our time here. This is what I covenanted, covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. He's going to pile some more encouragement on there, right? Be strong. Do the work. I am with you. Also, don't be afraid because I'm here. Let's keep reading. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little, little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is all mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty, and in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. So guys, what's happening is God is foreshadowing the great New Testament truth of his love. He is for, this is a foreshadowing statement. God is showing physically what he's going to do spiritually. God is showing us naturally what he's going to do supernaturally. He says, and it's mind-blowing for these people, he says the glory of the present temple will be greater than the glory of the formal temple. How can that be? How can he say that? Because God was going to do something that they could not imagine. Now guys, remember, People had to go to the temple and make sacrifices in order to be right with God. And we know that in the New Testament, God says something crazy. He says, now those of you who are followers of Jesus, you are now the temple, okay, where I will dwell. Your body is the house where God dwells. Everybody thought you had to go to the temple to experience God. And now God says, if you're a follower of my son, Jesus, I will actually dwell in you. God comes to you 
and made a sacrifice so we can be right with him. And the Holy Spirit dwells within you if you are a Christ follower. So this changes everything. This was foreshadowing of what's to come. In in church, we know when Jesus came, he died on the cross, things changed. We now have direct access to the King. You and I, we are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells within you. Jesus dwells within you. So the glory of this temple will be greater than the glory of the former temple. Jesus is the greater glory who dwells within us. So church, as we begin to wrap up our time together, every time you are obedient and you put a stone down in his name, you are glorifying him. When you serve somebody, he's glorified. When you love somebody in his name, he's glorified. When you forgive somebody, he's glorified. You're putting down another stone, putting down another stone in obedience. When you lift up his name, he's being glorified. We don't have to go to a temple and sacrifice an animal in hopes of finding God and being right with him because he came to us, church, and he gave his son that we would be right with him. Jesus dwells within those who are believers. And that's why, church, we never have to be discouraged. Because get this, you're not alone. You may think you're alone, but you're not alone, for he is always with you, declares the Lord. And if you're discouraged today, I want you to remember another thing. God came directly to you. He made a sacrifice so he could be with you. So you could be right with him And he's not just with you, but he's inside of you if you are a Christ follower. So last week, we we challenged each other to walk in obedience. And again, that's our challenge today as well. If God's calling you to do something, be strong. Do the work. The first step's walking in obedience. And the second step is what we talked about today. It's the courage and the strength to pick up a stone, to put down another stone, to do the work, to be strong and do the work for his glory. So we're going to take a moment today. And if you have not asked Jesus into your life, you can have this today. If you want this peace, this power, this strength, you can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's a gift. If you want to be strong and do the work well, you need God. I'll be honest. Maybe you've tried doing it your own way. I know I have. I know you have too. And maybe you're discouraged because of that. I want to read Matthew 11, 28 through 29. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. Church, I'm going to leave this up here. There's so much truth and love in this verse. If you're here this morning and you're tired, you're discouraged, and you want rest that you see here, I want you to pray this prayer with us. And this prayer, it's, it's not special words from a special person. It's words from your heart. So let's go ahead and uh, 
bow our heads. And if you're a Christ follower and you want to affirm with those around you, pray, pray this prayer or some similar version to this prayer. Um, so, so let's go ahead and, and seek him in prayer. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I fall short daily. I know that I cannot earn this gift of salvation. God, I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the dead. Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart, into my life. I want to trust and follow you as my personal Lord and Savior. Now, staying in this attitude of prayer, everyone, if, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or a version of that prayer, please, please let somebody know. Write it on your Connect card because we're not created to do life alone. The enemy wants us to believe that you can do it alone. But church, you can't do it alone. We need each other. We need him. We need to come together and hear God and worship him for all he has done and what he continues to do for us. So let's again bow in prayer and we'll close our time here this morning. Thank you, Father, for your good word today. God, help us to be faithful. God, help us to be obedient, strong. Help us do the work. God, help us be strong and do the work of the last things you've showed us to do. God, I pray that we'll continue to be obedient, God, to go up the mountain, to bring down the timber and build the temple. God, help us to be strong in you and to help us be obedient in what you've called us to do. Father, I, I thank you that we don't have to do everything alone. But God, we, we do it with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I pray, God, that we would be encouraged today because we know that you dwell within those who know your son, Jesus. God, thank you for that. God, thank you for the book of Haggai and showing us your love. Thank you for showing us your patience. And God, thank you for allowing us to rest in your presence and your, your peace. Thank you for being with us. God, please be the strength that we need to do what you called us to do. Father, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.